0: Trekkies and welcome to Trek Freaks, part of the Geek Freaks podcast station. On the show, we recap and analyze every episode of Star Trek, starting all the way back with the original series. My name is Kevin and I'm joined by John. Hey, hey, guys. Hey, what episode are we talking about today, John?
1: Ooh, we are in the original series, uh, season one, episode seven What Little Girls Are Made Of.
0: The episode was a little slower than some of the others, I'd say. This episode was but it wasn't terrible I don't know did you did you like this episode did you not like this episode
1: I, I liked it I think the the writing was a little sloppy or lazy and the story wasn't as engaging as it could be but it was still an overall I think it was a pretty good episode
0: yeah that's, that's kind of exactly what I thought of it as well before we get started do you have a, a question for me
1: oh I do I do oh, yeah. and it is It is relevant to the episode, Yeah. Uh, unlike some of my recent questions that just take us on a tangent. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, would you rather live forever as you are right now or continue to evolve but eventually grow old and die?
0: (sighs) I think if you asked me that question 20 years ago, the answer would be, I want to be immortal. I want to live forever, continue to gain knowledge, continue to gain wealth and just keep going however as i am right now i want to keep evolving i know that i don't know everything i want to know i know my life hasn't reached the, the apex of where i'm going with all of my the knowledge i've accumulated the the people in my life i want to continue to grow those relationships and meet the natural end of my life if that's not too dark to say
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so i think that's a part of being alive right is knowing that you're going to eventually die. You can't really live without the anticipation of death, I guess, or the knowing that it's limited. Right.
0: Well, what what experience is worth it if you have all the time in the world to do it?
1: Yeah, exactly. You would just not care anymore. But I think it would take, you know, depending on your mental state and if you are really, you know, high functioning and can continue to grow and and evolve over time with endless time, uh, I think it would be better to be immortal you would lose people you would see generations you know family dying and stuff like that but I mean we fall in love with people every day and we know that they will eventually die you're eventually going to lose your you know grandparents and your parents and you know unfortunately some people lose their spouses and children but you it doesn't make it so that it wasn't worth those connections you still choose to to have those relationships so that makes me think like would you if you could live forever, would you continue to get close to people knowing that you're going to outlive them? Maybe it's still worth it because that's the whole like trade-off that we do every day. But to continue to grow, like you would be able to see technology evolving. Imagine if you lived in the 50s and then now you, you know, live in the 90s and you see CDs and then all of a sudden you're in 2020 and we got drones everywhere and stuff like that. I think it'd be fascinating to live forever but it would probably get, you know, kind of lonely and it just depends on your mental capacity, I think. Yeah, I, I think for
0: me, it's more like it when you're thinking of Marvel comics from like 60 years ago, wouldn't mm-hmm. it be amazing to be that same age now and watching the MCU as it unfolds? Yeah. And then where it's going to be in another 50, 60 years from now, that that would just be incredible to be able to watch stuff like that.
1: Yeah. And you would think if if you're immortal... I mean, if, if there's like literally no way to die, you can go ahead and show everybody. You can, you know, reveal that to the world. If, if you're just immortalized and you're ageless and you could easily be killed, then as soon as you tell people, somebody's eventually going to try to kill you. Uh, but if you cannot die, then you could kind of lead human civilization going forward because you have the knowledge of the last 50 generations or, you know, whatever it is. So, you could kind of use that and steer progression throughout, you know, the human, human evolution.
0: That could lead to a whole nother topic of like where the limit to the the power would be. And if you had that kind of power, you would crave even more power. And it's just mm-hmm. absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. I think we talked about that yeah. on an early epi- earlier episode of Trek Freaks.
1: I think so. I think we see some reoccurring uh, topics in Star Trek already. And I think we're having another one today with this episode. Yes. All right, you ready to get into our Warp Speed recap?
0: Yeah, so yeah, before we begin, we are bringing back the Warp Speed recap. Let us know what you think of this. I think it'll lead to more discussion on the actual analysis of the episode, and that's what we're hoping for, is to really dig into it. So if you haven't seen the episode recently, suggest going back and watching it and then coming back. But if you don't have time to do that, I'm going to recap the episode for you right now. the enterprise is in orbit of a deathly cold planet captain kirk and nurse christine chapel beam down to meet a legendary man dr roger corby who's also christine's fiance immediately not all is as it seems while kirk and chapel search the underground cavern for roger (laughs) the stereotypical star trek red shirt is pushed off a cliff to his death by a rather creepy looking uh big dude corby's assistant finds Kirk and chapel and brings them to Rogers quarters there. They meet Roger Andrea. And eventually I think his name was rock. I'm going to keep calling him rock. The man who killed the red shirt Matthews, as well as the other red shirt security officer that beamed down with them. Turns out that Rogers assistant Andrea and Rock are actually all androids in service of Dr. Corby. Uh, At that point, Corby practically takes Kirk prisoner so as to not have his research be stopped. All the while, he commands Andrea to also serve Christine. So kind of a weird dichotomy there. Uh, After Kirk fails to escape, Corby straps him to a table with a blank mold of a human body, from which Corby makes an android version of Kirk, his body, and his mind. Kirk, knowing that his new double could potentially take control of the Enterprise in his place, plants a, a pretty derogatory term towards Spock in the android's mind as it's copied. While the android Kirk fools Nurse Chapel, it does not fool Spock. After some more back and forth between Kirk, Christine, and Corby, Kirk is able to kill Rock. Without the big man left to protect him, Corby is vulnerable. Kirk attacks him, peeling off some of his skin. Instead of blood, you see wires are coming out of Corby's hand. He was an android too. Andrea kills the android Kirk, mistaking him for the real thing, and joins the excitement between the real Kirk and Dr. Corby. The silver-tongued Kirk is able to convince Corby that his plan was bad, and while embracing Andrea. Corby pulls the trigger on the phaser she is holding and kills them both. Spock and the other security team beam down, find Kirk and a distraught nurse Chapel, and ask if they made contact with Dr. Corby. Kirk responds, he was never here.
1: Dang, that's a good recap. Uh, I gotta say, I like that. Uh, yeah, I... Well, you make I, the story sound better than what I watched. <laughs> 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 I'm glad you think that. Uh, all right. So after that, now that we now that we've gone through the recap, everybody knows more or less what happened. We're going to go uh, scene by scene and kind of break down what happened in the scene and analyze it a little bit, right?
0: Yeah. So at the beginning of the episode, when uh, they're talking about Doctor Roger Corby, they're kind of making some allusions as to who he is and say that Kirk and uh, stuff studied him in Starfleet Academy and all that stuff, and that he hasn't made contact with anybody in over five years. Now, what would you expect in Christine's situation, in Nurse Chapel's position there, not hearing from Roger for five years and knowing that nobody else has heard from him in five years?
1: Yeah, that's a long time. I would just assume he was dead. Uh, but I, So, I may have this wrong, but I believe that her being on the ship was just to be transported to him, right? I don't, I,
0: I don't know if that's so true or not.
1: Yeah, I didn't know anything about that until the very end of the episode. I realized that that uh she decided to stay aboard the ship. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, she must have just been on as a passenger previously, helping in, in her her, you know, expertise. But uh, I think she was just a passenger to get there to Dr. Corby and then, you know, all this unfolded and now she has no more purpose or nowhere to go.
0: Man, that's really uh, cool. I never thought of that. I I did hear that at the end of the episode, but I thought that was more of a she just saw what she thought was her fiancé die, just n- realized that her fiancé is now dead, and they were trying to figure out whether or not she was going to quit and go back home and start a new life, or if she was going to continue to serve. I kind of like the way that you you suggest that a lot better.
1: Yeah. It might, might it might not be true, but I'm making it up and it's going to stick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like the headcanon that you create for, for a lot of this. I, I take it as actual Star Trek canon at most points. Nice.
1: I like it. Uh, but yeah, if I were her, I would assume that he would have been, you know, dead five years without any kind of contact with Starfleet. You're supposed to report back, I'm sure, at least annually for your physical. Um, so, yeah, that, that would be kind of... And she seems so optimistic, though. I was surprised that she's like, oh, yeah, don't worry. I know him, you know, real well. And then the look in her eyes, like she she hadn't seen him for a week. But really, it's been, you know, five years. It's a lot longer. God, I,
0: I was engaged to my now wife for about five years before we got married. If I hadn't seen her in that time, she would have been a completely different person, probably, as much as I think that I would that I know her and would still have known her at that point. That's just insane to me to think. And they just kind of glossed over it. Mm -hmm. Um, I do like the little uh, side conversation that Uhura. it wasn't even much of a conversation, but Uhura and Chapel kind of had a little moment together as they were as Kirk and Chapel were going to the to the transporter room. Uh, Uhura was like excited for chapels like oh you get to see your fiance I like the little character development and the consistency that they have with Uhura
1: yeah she's excited about the uh, relation uh, relational connections or emotions that other people are having she wants to encourage that
0: yeah, it's kind of sad when you think about it because she doesn't have that and we know from the first episode that she wants that kind of connection so <laughs> it's kind of it's heartbreaking but also great to see her reaction for that.
1: Yeah, and I think they continue to try to just sell her as like the social butterfly. She's just the one that kind of bounces around between the crew, and and you know is just the most social of the group.
0: Yeah, she should be the the ship's counselor, I think, <laughs> out of anybody True. there.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: one of these days, probably after we're done with the original series, we we should do a whole episode based on just the characters and the development, specifically of the the lesser known side characters like Uhura and Sulu and check off yeah. those guys that'd be very that'd,
1: fun that'd be awesome we could even do a separate episode per character if you wanted oh gosh there's just a, an unlimited
0: <laughs> source of a podcast we could do on this this is great
1: alright I like it
0: so in this episode we also see the I don't know if it's the introduction of the, the red shirts but we definitely see red shirts as they're commonly known just being used as fodder Essentially.
1: Yeah. The generic like security officers. We, I know we see them in the next episode, but I don't think we've seen them like used this way until this episode too. I think you're right.
0: Yeah. It's it's funny how synonymous red shirts are. Like the, just the term red shirt in casual conversation about Star Trek. And I think, I think this is the first indication of them becoming that. I like it.
1: Do you remember, I don't remember the terminology for it, what their, what a red shirt dictates it means they're like uh training to be a command officer right they're in line to eventually be a captain if they follow their you know study in
0: the original series red is just security i think uh, okay gold is command red is security and engineering gold is command and blue is sciences mm. they switch the, okay. the gold and the blue or sorry the gold and the red in later star trek iterations
1: mm. Wh- that makes a lot more sense since Kirk is always wearing gold, gold or his green tunic. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that would be another great episode of a podcast is talking about the uniforms throughout mm-hmm. all Star Trek. But it's another. I, topic I did another
1: notice time. though in this episode, his uniform is a little different than we've seen. I believe in all the previous ones. Maybe, maybe they introduced this newer uniform recently. But it has a zipper. You see, because his collar gets uh, pulled open at one point, it has a zipper over the shoulder, and I thought like that looks a lot more comfortable than the the one from the first couple episodes at least
0: yeah it's interesting you also brought up the the green tunic and that was Mm -hmm. only added to the show when they had that transporter accident so we could tell the Mm -hmm. good kirk from the evil kirk on i don't remember which episode that was it wasn't too long ago Uh, though
1: the enemy within yeah
0: that one yeah (laughs) yeah and they keep going back to it that's
1: yeah, and it's funny because we have a very similar, you know, we have a, a duplicate again in this episode, so <laughs> we're repeating a lot of the same concepts. Yeah,
0: very, very uh, similar themes. Oh, on the topic of the red shirts, did you notice mm-hmm. that it didn't seem like Kirk was too beat up about losing his guys, losing his men?
1: Yeah, that was kind of... Uh... Interesting. he seemed, you know, he's he mentioned it, but it wasn't like, hey, we need to pump the brakes, everybody stop what you're doing. We just lost a man. He died. You know, let's mourn him right now. It's just like, ah, crap, you know, it lost another one. (laughs) Like like they're expendable. It's kind of sad. Yeah,
0: the the person that showed the most remorse over the death of the security guys was Dr. Corby. Mm -hmm. Which is weird because not only do we find out later on in the episode, as we talked about, that he's an android, but he has no memory, no, he has no connection to these guys other than the fact yeah. that he's as an android showing his human emotion, which I thought was super interesting in relation to Kirk and Chapel's reaction to Matthews and the other guy dying.
1: Yeah, and, and on that note, him showing human emotion, I don't understand, is it that, because he, he mentions the other androids don't have emotions, but is it just because he put his human brain in an android body that he can have emotions
0: yeah so they talk about it later on in the episode they say that uh that he says that he can go one step further past the mind and duplicate essentially the soul of somebody Mm. and i think what they're trying to get at is transferring consciousness from a human body to an android body so he's saying that he is the same person as he was when christine knew him He's just in a different body now, so his reactions, okay. his emotions are all the same. Whereas, like the the duplicate Kirk has all the memories, but obviously he's reacting differently. When you see them sitting down eating food, or he's not eating food because, as he says, androids don't eat, <laughs> which was another funny scene. <laughs> but yes. uh, we can see that, and I think I know we're kind of skipping a little bit here. Um, when that when that Kirk clone is sitting down and talking with Christine and uh, kind of showing that androids react differently in different situations than their counterparts did. Mm -hmm. Christine says that she knows Dr. Corby. I thought it was so great because I took that as foreshadowing that, that Corby was an Android.
1: Yeah. I like that. I noted the same exact thing too, that she says, you know, Oh, don't worry. I know. I know him. Like I know him really well. He wouldn't, you know. I can't remember the line specifically, but wouldn't be that way. But uh, yeah, it's like, well, do you do you really know him? Because this, she was in that moment being uh, misled or thinking that she was talking to the true Captain Kirk, and really it was the android. So you can't tell the difference. You can't differentiate human from android with their technology. So you could easily be, you know, misled or manipulated with this fake. Dr. Corby.
0: Yeah, they didn't know that Andrea was a, an android at first either. They were both, like, caught really off guard when she told them.
1: Yeah, I like how Andrea was kind of excited, it seemed like, to realize that they didn't recognize her as an android. Like, she feels proud that she was successfully, you know, deceiving them as, and playing a human properly.
0: Yeah, her whole, her whole character kind of went up and down through an arc there from the beginning <laughs> to the end. And the whole kiss Captain Kirk, now slap him. That Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. I have it actually in my notes. It's just another day as a Starfleet captain. But doesn't that just tell you something about Star Trek back then? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Repeating a lot of themes again.
1: Yeah. And at one point, he tries to seduce her to manipulate her and stuff like that. It's like, hmm. Yeah, things are just different back then.
0: Yeah, that... I... I guess we we should probably talk about that now since we're on that track of conversation. Um, that whole scene later on in the episode when Kirk is trying to basically forcing himself on Andrea. Mm-hmm. He knows at that time that Andrea doesn't want to do it and he's doing it yeah. to prove a point. And yeah, I don't know if that makes it. Well, I know now it does not make that better, but I'm. Thinking back then it might have in their minds, in the creator's minds, made that better. Like she's an android. She doesn't technically have free will because she's not technically living. Does that, is that better?
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, <laughs> that's complicated because, yeah, whether or not she feels it or not, he, you know, as long as one of you is a living, breathing person with emotions and consciousness, then uh, it's not okay to force your, you know, physical interaction on anybody or assault somebody. Uh, But I think in this situation, he was a prisoner. He's doing what he has to to free himself and get his people out and alive. So, you know, if you have to kill somebody to survive, wouldn't assault, you know, be in the same realm. Though I think what he was trying to do is not necessarily like take advantage of her or anything like that, but he's trying to uh, seduce her, trying to inspire uh, genuine emotion inside an android in her brain. And I think it works just a bit because he when he kisses her and he's getting all passionate and stuff like that, and she's like, "Wait, no, no, I'm not programmed for you. She has to remind herself that I'm only programmed to you know sleep with Dr. corby or or satisfy his needs, not your needs. But I think she slipped just a little bit in that when when he was doing that.
0: yeah, and I know that was his his whole plan to escape too because he did the same thing with rock he He made rock show his emotions and admit to being. Uh, an android created by the the native inhabitants of that planet,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and got him to confess that the androids that the natives built actually uprose. I guess that's a word. If it's not, I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> they uprose <No> <laughs> and <laughs> killed the natives of the planet. And that's why they're not there anymore. And he got that out of Kurt. Got that out of the android by making him emotional. So that was his whole plan to escape. It just the, the guys of doing that under coercion or forcing yourself on someone is a very bad look, but it's yeah in the story. You don't it want to encourage sense, it. Unfortunately.
1: So that uncovers a little plot hole that I didn't realize before until you brought this up though, uh, with rock, uh, he, he, uh, forgot some of his programming cause he's been alive for hundreds of years or whatever. So some of it must be, you know, on backlogs or whatever. But Kirk kind of brings stuff back to light and he's like, oh, yeah, no, that's why, that's why we killed them all because they were inferior and we had evolved past them or something like that. But in that, he decides to turn on Dr. Corby because he was a human controlling androids that were superior. But he should know, I believe, that Dr. Corby's an android. I imagine amongst the other androids, he wouldn't keep it a secret and pretend he's human, right? Or do you think that he made the androids believe that he was human and they were all robots?
0: I think as I was watching this, I imagined that Dr. Corby was hiding his androidness from everybody. It seems kind of outrageous because, you know, they would have to figure out when he doesn't need to eat and (laughs) any of the the (laughs) stuff that a normal human would do, that they would figure it out, especially being computers themselves. But that's that's a tough one.
1: Yeah, and that brings another, this is, I don't want to, I don't like poking a lot of holes, but another question is they were able to prepare food for their visitors, but yet if none of them eat, where would this food come from? Did they even, did they, do they have a replicator? Maybe they probably do, but if not, then it's like, you know, you guys probably don't have a vegetable garden anywhere.
0: Yeah, it looked like it was, the the plate that was in front of the android Kirk in and that scene looked like it was just, uh, I, in my mind, it was replicated colored food cubes with, Like beef gravy, instant beef gravy is what it looked like to Uh, me. (laughs) It did not look appetizing.
1: I think we talked about that before. I think you were the one that told me that the uh, older series or the original series that the replicators didn't make full meals. It was just like flavored uh, rations, right?
0: Yeah, but it is weird though in, I think it was Charlie X, they talked about having meatloaf and Kirk wanted the meatloaf to be turkey come Thanksgiving. Like he wanted the chef to make it look like. So I think that they also do have, at least on on board the Enterprise, they kind of mix like cooked food with the replicated colored cubes. I'm not sure. Mm. We'll probably get an answer as we get further on in the original series.
1: Yeah, it might be an energy consumption thing, too. It might take a lot more energy to produce a more detailed meal. Speaking of
0: energy consumption, though. How much energy do you think it takes to make that table spin as fast as it did? Holy <laughs> crap, man!
1: Right, and that's a that's a pretty good merry-go-round right there. I would <laughs> I would get sick if I was Kirk spinning or you know uh, Will Shatner spinning on a table on this set. Like now, thinking about it, they probably could have done it really slow and just sped up the video so that the actors don't get sick. I know they
0: did that at uh, at a certain point for sure. They had to have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because his legs would have been flying off the edge a little bit. (laughs)
0: Right. The other way they could have potentially done it was to spin the camera.
1: Oh, yeah. That's true. But I I, didn't even think about that.
0: That didn't help me. Oh, either way. I got extraordinary. I almost got sick watching it. (laughs) Like, I get get pretty bad motion sickness. And as a kid, I always uh, had to ride in the front seat because I had motion sickness in cars growing up. I, I had to turn away from my monitor while I was watching that episode or watching that scene. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. So imagine, imagine if you had to lay on that table, almost naked in front of a camera and a bunch of lights and they're just spinning you when watching you <laughs> and you got to keep a
0: serious face. Oh man. And then say the line right after that, mind your own business, Mrs. Buck, I'm sick of your half-breed interference.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> that was genius though. I.
1: <laughs> that was i think that's that's why kirk is captain is he has this just intuition or he just knows the right thing to do at the right time though i wasn't sure of what he was trying to do did you understand right away what that what his plan was
0: yes i actually did i picked up on it because it was right after corby explained to chapel how copying the mind works and what it mm-hmm. does and that's when he like looked up and he, he had that like i've got an idea look in his face and then started spewing that as far as, I think he said like one and a half times.
1: Yeah. So, I always like to, you know, dig into the technical as much as possible when, when, especially when it comes to Spock and Vulcans. So, I know Vulcans have uh, telepathy. So, I'm like, oh man, he was trying to do, he probably, because Kirk's mind is so much more, you know, powerful than a regular human. And he probably has a slight residual connection with Spock all the time. So, he's probably trying to telepathically like send out a a distress signal to Spock by using these vulgar thoughts that would attract his, his attention and then he would be able to pick up on it. (laughs) I know I go way out there though.
0: Dude, that would be so (laughs) cool though. Like it's it's so much more science fiction than even for a scene where an Android is being made. It's just so much more science (laughs) fiction than what actually happened. That's, that would be really cool if that were the case.
1: Yeah. I think I need to get on set and be a Star Trek writer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'd like that. I'd like that a lot. I like your uh your headcanon tangents.
1: Yeah. That needs to if be I, a t shirt, was...
0: Frank. Headcanon tangents.
1: There you go. <laughs> if I headcanon. could draw, man, I would be a comic writer right now. Heck yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I guess I looking at my notes I even put here, I'm guessing he's trying to get that response to be downloaded into the latest firmware of Kirk Android. Of the Kirk Android. Yeah. So I yeah, typed that up as I was watching the episode. But,
1: yeah, and which, I mean, it worked perfectly, too. That was the one of the first things that the Kirk android said to Spock when he got on the ship, and that kind of perked up his ears a little bit, like, hey, this isn't normal.
0: Yeah, it it's kind of... He did sense that it was different, but I think he, at first, thought that it was Kirk in a bad mood. Yeah. Like, he didn't react I, right away. It took him, like, a good 20 seconds to, to say yeah. something or do and, something.
1: What I think that was is, like you're saying, he... Right away thinks Kirk's in a bad mood, but then when Kirk responds to his next question, he's not in a bad mood. So he's like, "Wait, so this is a normal response to you? So obviously this something's not right because you wouldn't normally respond and then, you know, with a slur and then be chipper afterwards." So he's trying to cram two emotions or thoughts in the same, same I don't know, conversation. It just doesn't doesn't fit for what Kirk would would do. Yeah, that
0: makes sense. Like yeah, that makes a lot of sense actually. What I, I don't think actually made sense, though, was how him saying that and even getting it that line in his mind and saying it one and a half times out loud actually put that in the android's brain, because it, to me, it seems like it obviously it doesn't download your emotions, but it seems like that response is an emotional response and it's not part of his memory. It's not part of his not part of how Kirk actually acts. So it doesn't seem like that. That plan should have worked.
1: Yeah, I would think if anything, it would just um, instill like a, a more harsh relationship between the two of them. So the android, when he gets there, would instinctively not like Spock or just be mean to him all the time because that's his most you know recent memories. Oh, last time I talked to him, we were fighting or something like that. Um, but I, we just have to chalk it up to it was a, a glitch in their software or something like that, and that that was like printed across his head when he got the the update. Yeah, I, yeah, that
0: sucks because I, I know he's got all of Kirk's memories and he could easily be like, oh, yeah, I remember getting along with this guy really well. Yeah, a little uh, a plot hole, I guess, if if we want to poke yeah. more plot holes into this episode,
1: <laughs> they have a few, but it makes it more interesting. right?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and we can every once in a while fill in a plot hole with some head cannon.
0: I, that's the way this whole podcast should run. <laughs> Beyond the, the copying of the body and the mind, Corby mentioned that the next step in transferring or in becoming an android is to transfer a consciousness or the person's soul. And he says, in android form, a human can have immortality. Can you understand what I'm offering mankind? I love Kirk's response. This programming. Different word, but same old promises made by Genghis Khan, Julius Caesar, Hitler, Ferris, Maltuvis. And I just love the point that he makes. It's it's basically programming. And I, I think that Corby, at some point in his character, he wants to be the god of a new human android race. Does that sound like at all what the episode was going for, for to you? Because yeah. that's what I got from it.
1: I don't think he saw it that way, but I think that would be the inevitable evolution of what he's working on. He might have a, a good intention that he wants to just make a free race of people that can you know live forever, but he's the only one that has control. He's the one that, that writes the program and that says you know, he gives them orders and they obey. So, eventually, he's going to be king of a, this unstoppable race of people. Or, you know, he's going to die and then they won't have anybody to control him and they'll just go into utter chaos, probably.
0: Yeah. And it, it makes perfect sense the way you just explained that too, because he does say that uh, life can be improved by removing all the negatives of jealousy, greed, and hate. But then Kirk's retort to that says it also gets rid of the good things like love and tenderness and sentiment. So, it's it, yeah. it really a couple of different themes going on back and forth here, but mostly... What we've talked about before in past episodes of star trek of taking the good with the bad of being a human kind of seems to be the the prominent theme here
1: yeah and when he talks about copying your soul like you know it's hard to pin down what a soul is and whether we can ever manage that with technology but if you take if you take pieces of a person away you know like their jealousy and their anger and their emotional reactions to things then is their soul still there is that still intact if you can just pick and pick apart pieces of it um, or, you know, or you just have a part of a human after that.
0: And that's debates that we have in modern day, in real life. Mm -hmm. And I, it's it's funny that it got brought up in a sci-fi show back in the sixties and how true to today it still is. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) changing the subject here drastically. (laughs) This is the Uh episode that has the notorious Kirk holding the phallic-shaped rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was... That was... Oh, that was great. Like, I took a screenshot. I had to show my wife. <laughs> 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 it, it was one of those, like, iconic... It, yeah, I, I didn't realize that that was the episode that th- that shot came from until that happened.
1: Yeah. It's like, did the props department know what they were doing? I don't know, but that's pretty... I don't know. It's a, like you're saying it's iconic. Everybody has probably seen that at some point.
0: Yeah, I I imagine I'd like to think that they didn't know what it looked like as a mm. team. I like to think that one guy was like <laughs> they don't notice it's going to get on TV. <laughs> it was yeah. just like a prank that one guy pulled and now it's just Star Trek history.
1: You know, I wonder if that was improv too. I wonder cuz I mean they're in a obviously all styrofoam built set of rocks and, you know, uh, Kirk just reaches out and breaks that piece off and then he ends up holding it in one hand too like it's not a heavy rock or something like that. Right. But the fact that, you know, he just grabbed it and broke it off, I wonder if, if that was intended as a prop that he's going to use. He's going to break this one off because what if it broke unevenly or, you know, didn't break at all and he just looked like he's struggling. So, I think maybe maybe he just decided to do that as a improv.
0: Was Shatner big on improving? Ad-libbing uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't,
1: I... Pff, I'll have to do some some Googling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it,
0: it seems like something that he'd be... I, I don't know. I could go back and forth on it. He seems like a stickler for certain things, but also yeah. wants things to go and, the I, way that he sees it in his head.
1: I know I've heard of other scenes where he improvs and makes decisions on the set, but I don't know if it would be something like this, like, you know, adding a prop or making a prop. Because, you know, that guy, the the rock does come around the corner shortly after that and they fight. He swings at him with the prop and then they, you know, fight by hand. But, um, yeah, without the prop, the, the scene would have gone just the same. So I don't think it would have been something that had to be written in to the scene. So I don't know. uh, Maybe I'll, I'll send a tweet to, uh, Mr. Shatner and see if he remembers that scene. <laughs> I,
0: I do know. I'm sure he will remember that scene. <laughs> I, <laughs> right. I, I do know that like he Shatner and Nimoy came up with the, the Vulcan nerve pinch together because oh, yeah. when that was created, it was supposed to be like a karate chop or something. And Nimoy brought up the fact that he doesn't think that Spock would do that. And Shatner agreed. So they practiced it like offset. And then brought it up and then ended up doing that. And I also know that Shatner and Nichelle Nichols, the scene where they kiss later on in the series, um, they intentionally tanked every, supposedly tanked every single take that didn't have them kissing so as to keep that kiss in the episode.
1: So I guess he is known
0: for doing stuff like that.
1: Yeah, that's good. I mean, it makes it more fun for us, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um. Uh, so after that, he does. He fights with uh Rock, and he falls on the edge of the cliff. Rock ends up pulling him back up. Uh, it seems like he debates it, but I think Christine told him to. Right? Did she give him the order to save Kirk? I don't know.
0: You might be right. I, I know. I had. I said earlier that Doctor Corby has Andrea serving Christine as well. I guess that probably would have extended to to Rock as well.
1: Yeah, because. Cause at first I thought he made the conscious decision. He's like, you know what? No, this isn't right. I shouldn't kill you a little bit of humanity in his programming kind of thing. And he saved him. But then later, uh, I believe it was mentioned that, that the reason he saved Kirk was because, uh, Christine ordered him to, but I don't, I don't remember hearing her give the order, which was kind of, kind of confused me.
0: Yeah. That that whole part was confusing, but, yeah. uh, Rock's heel turn or face turn and to use pro wrestling parlance, Rock's face turn there where he turns on Corby, uh, it was not unexpected. Yeah. Survival must cancel out programming. <laughs> <laughs> um, now,
1: so I liked his phaser, uh, maybe it's super advanced Android phaser or something like that, but it looks like a Roku remote to me.
0: That was actually the first thought that I had when I looked at it too, is that it looked specifically <laughs> like a small Roku or a like a, a Bose sound system remote.
1: Yeah, something like that. It's real so much smaller than what, you know, the Enterprise crew has. And yet it completely, you know, decimates anything, uh whatever you call it. Vaporizes uh anything they shoot with it. So it's like that's a little little more advanced than what Enterprise has.
0: Yeah, I wonder why they didn't stick with that and they stuck with like the 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 more gun looking phasers in the show it was kind of weird.
1: I mean, I don't know. Maybe because Enterprise is part of the Federation and they have standard issue everything, so maybe if that technology got back to Starfleet, they could, uh, you know, disassemble it and reverse engineer it and add it to their fleet. But I don't think they're in the in the habit of adapting alien technology ind- independently.
0: That makes sense. More headcanon, too. I like it.
1: <laughs> I like it a lot. Um, <laughs> Though, I mean, if I was them, I would have kept one and just put it in my pocket. Like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this in my quarters just for emergencies. Just a prop. Just something to look at. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, yeah. Put it on the, the wall of all the captain's trophies that every Starfleet captain tends to have. There you go. All right. By this point, we've talked about how, uh, how Andrea killed the android Kirk. Mm-hmm. Um, Rock ends up getting killed as well.
1: So R- Rock got killed when when uh, Kirk convinces him or, or helps him find his programming about how they'd evolved beyond their human, you know, captors or creators. And so then he turns on Corby when Corby comes in. So Corby just, I think that's the first time we saw him actually kill somebody with that remote with the phaser. And yeah, Br- Rock uh, was destroyed then, and I think it wasn't. A little a little bit later when uh what was it they were going back to the the lab or whatever their room they were in that the girl that uh what was his name andrea yeah she she sees the Android version of Kirk and asks him because she, she he was trying to kiss her or whatever she i think she's trying to manipulate him, asks him if he wanted to kiss or something like that, and he said no that's You know, that be illogical. Yeah, and so she phases him right there, and it's like, wait, why did why did that trigger her to phaser him? I I didn't, I didn't understand why she did that then and there. She thought she mentioned that she thought that he was the real Kirk and he had escaped, but that wasn't a real Kirk kind of answer. I don't think.
0: No, that was like the complete antithesis of how Kirk I think would normally respond to a situation (laughs) like that. So yeah, that. Unless she was trying to say that to lure him in because she just thought all along in her mind or in her android brain that that was Kirk. So, she was trying to lure him in with the kiss and was going to kill him. Yeah. And since he said no, she just said, fuck it, I'll kill you
1: anyway. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. Maybe she takes the first step to try to capture him. If he's resistant, she'll kill him. Right. I get you. Yeah. So,
0: uh, Andrea kills the android Kirk uh Mm -hmm. rock gets killed as well while turning on corby and while corby's trying to convince kirk that becoming an android is better i I just i I find this so fascinating kirk's reasoning for saying no basically is he responds to corby by saying is this your perfect world your flawless beings killing off one another aren't you doing Mm -hmm. exactly what you hate most in humans killing with no more concern than when, you're, when you turn off a light. I thought that was so brilliantly written that I had to yeah. actually quote that as it was said in the episode.
1: Yeah, that was a very good line. And it kind of analyzes it in a bigger picture too, that to some extent, no matter, I think, no matter what humans create, how, how great they can make it, it's only made within the confines of their mind and their, their vision. So, it will always imitate what we do. So, I think human androids would always eventually kill each other like humans do.
0: That's a very probable outcome for that almost every time, I would imagine, yeah. Um, Corby says that he's not a computer, but he seems to be malfunctioning while he's trying to tell that to Kirk. The way that I try to think of words and I just kind of stop and my brain screws up <laughs> for a minute. I think yeah. Corby had a bunch of that going on, and for being a computer himself, that's probably not the best... Uh, argument to make
1: <laughs> yeah, he's sitting there like trying to trying to process and trying to decide what to do, but it's like he's he's glitching
0: yeah, that we're pretty much at the end of the episode. Kirk convinces Corby that his his path was the wrong way, and if there's any humanity left in him he would he would turn the phaser over to him. He mm-hmm. didn't, and Andrea starts kissing him. they embrace, mm-hmm. and Cor- Corby kills himself and Andrea in the process so.
1: Yeah, I had to go back and pause that to see uh, who pulled the trigger because she was holding the phaser, but when they get close, he's the one that grabs her hand and pushes the button down.
0: I actually did the exact same thing. I I rewound it because I thought it was him, but I was also uh, typing up my notes on what was happening at the same time. So I was like, I think that's what happened, but I need to... Yeah, I think it's definitely more impactful that he was the one that pulled the trigger rather than her.
1: Yeah, because he realizes there's no hope. She... Will just believe whatever she's told.
0: I think it also would have been great the other way though because if her programming being to do what she's told and she overcame that programming using logic, Kirk's logic and killed them both because she realized that was the only way to stop him from doing what she at that point would have been convinced was wrong I think that would have been also a very I would argue that that would probably be better but
1: yeah she's trying to protect him from himself and keep him from exactly creating an, an army to pretty much conquer the world. Yeah. Hmm. And then oh, we
0: ha- we had at the end of the, the very end of the episode another kind of classic Star Trek uh, goofy ending but I I don't know. That whole conversation between Kirk and Spock at the end where Spock was dismayed at Kirk using the term half-breed and he calls it unsophisticated. Kirk says he'll remember that for the next time they're in a similar situation. That, yeah. obviously, it was kind of supposed to be lighthearted. It was a joke. But it's like, yeah, I'm going to remember that thing that really upset you at your core. And <laughs> I'm going to use that later. I'm going to keep that in my back pocket. I didn't think that was as lighthearted as it was meant to be.
1: Yeah. I think Kirk should have said just a little bit of something. He doesn't have to sit, go through an apology or whatever, but kind of explain in a couple words, how he needed that to to get his attention. And I think Spock understood that and maybe he just wanted to to mention it lightheartedly to let him know, hey, there's no beef between us. Like, I know you used a derogatory term to get my attention, but, you know, we're cool. Um, but it would have been, I think it could have been like brought up or, or explained a little bit better. Yeah, I, I
0: seem to find that about most of the, the supposedly goofy endings. Like M- mud's women was another one, where it's like, oh yeah, this whole thing happened, and it doesn't matter anymore because the lighthearted music is playing and we're making jokes,
1: <laughs> right? One out of three women are happy, right. or potentially happy. Yeah, the other two, Lord knows what happened to them. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Classic <Yeah>. Star Trek.
1: <laughs> yeah. So this uh, a- one, I'm sorry. So one thing we didn't go over is uh, when the- how they figured out that Corby was an android when they were coming into the the lab again. Uh Kirk like attacked him and he ended up getting his hand caught in the door. I thought it was kind of funny, but then he pulled his hand out and it peeled open, you know, some circuits or whatever under his skin. What'd you think about the the practical effects, how like the makeup and stuff was done on his hand?
0: I actually thought that looked pretty decent. A lot better than I would have thought if you told yeah. me that they were trying to do that. Like, if Terminator was made in the 60s, I don't think it would have looked as good as this scene did. <laughs>
1: That's true, yeah. Because they mean they look like they put actual kind of wire and stuff in there, but they put like a gel over it, which is you know just that technology. I guess we don't have to assume it's wrong. I mean, it could be that they have a uh, some kind of nanotechnology or whatever, a liquid gel that lives between all the circuits and stuff. Uh, it just looked like goopy. Like I wouldn't want to be on set with a hand with this. <laughs> you know, this, like jello and cereal on your hand kind of thing or whatever. It looks looks like a hot mess, but that would be it'd be kind of hard to act with that kind of stuff on you.
0: Man, you want to talk about that kind of stuff. Wait till we get to the next generation Klingons. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, all right, I'm excited.
0: <laughs> so that actually brought me to what I was wanting to talk about next anyway. Was what did you think of uh of the practical effects and the the, the production of this episode?
1: I think it was pretty good overall. I think I think Brock's costume was a little distracting, that it could have been a little more futuristic or something. He he was wearing like just a big trench coat looking thing, gray or, or kind of mixed colored trench coat. And his makeup was odd, even though, you know, Andrea was very human looking. And I get that he was created before, you know, humans were there. He was from the, the older ones, the original ones or something like that. Um but yeah, I think that he could have been done a little bit better. The phaser shots where people were, you know, vaporized were done pretty well, consistent to what we're used to. Um and then the, the effects on the hand I think could have could have been done a little cleaner, a little more, you know, high-tech looking, but overall it's it's alien technology so we can't say it's wrong. All right.
0: I <laughs> my biggest gripe is still about that that table spinning so fast and mm. it was just it was bad. The music was really good, like the the tense music when they first beam down to the planet and are searching for Dr. Corby. Uh, that, mm-hmm. w- that was pretty good. And then the spotlight turns on and you see the assistant there. I thought that was really cheesy. I didn't care for that so much. But yeah. the sound design I thought was really good on this episode. The music was really good. Uh, the sets all looked pretty darn good. I don't know mm-hmm. about that phallic stalactite that, <laughs> that Kurt pulled, but... <laughs> Yeah. yeah. My one gripe would definitely be how fast that table was spinning.
1: Did you notice the controls they used to make that table spin? It's like dials and stuff. Yeah, it looks like a toddler's like little <laughs> a little playset. Playset at the dentist or something like that. Yeah. It's just like <laughs> colored knobs. They're all kind of a generic shape. And you just, they just go over there and kind of spin a couple here and there. And like they could have gotten more technical than that. Come on, use I mean, it's the sixties. We have factories and stuff. Use some, you know, flashing light up buttons or Something, but it's really a little too simple for me.
0: It's really interesting to see how people in the '60s thought the future was going to look, based on what it Mm -hmm. looks, what time, what everything looked like at that time. Yeah,
1: and in some some shows and movies, I love that because they'll do nowadays we do a modern interpretation of what the you know '60s, '70s, '80s thought the future was going to look like, and we see that in a lot of stuff. But like now, we watched uh, uh, Loki in the TVA has that kind of retro future tech and umbrella Academy had the same thing with their, their time time uh, group or whatever it was. Uh, but I love seeing that in, in TV and movies these days. It's pretty cool.
0: Perfect. Um, uh, the moral of the story, what did you, what did you get from the, the, the moral of this episode?
1: Um, that's pretty much that like living like eternally, uh, immortality is not is not life without humanity so if you think you're gonna live forever you're not living if you lose your humanity in the process it's pretty that's a lot of words (laughs) yeah
0: it's it's hard to get the exact for me it was also hard to pinpoint the exact message they were trying to uh, convey here because part of it was talking about taking the good with the bad of being human but Mm -hmm. also it seemed like they were trying to comment on you know what The Matrix ended up making a whole movie on and what other people have made whole movies and books and stuff on about the eventual robot uprising. (laughs) So, (laughs) I I don't know exactly what they were trying to get, but I think they were trying to say that immortality is not worth it if you lose your humanity in the process.
1: And it's crazy that in our time right now, we're seeing... Robots being developed more and more, like to higher functioning abilities. It's kind of scary that maybe in our generation, or maybe you know, in our great grandkids, that they'll see functioning robots that look look like humans.
0: Yeah, and the AI that's being developed now is just it's it it was unfathomable back then. So Mm -hmm. it's 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 insane how fast that technology is progressing. It's actually really cool and slightly terrifying.
1: Yeah, and I don't, at least I never realized before before now, you know, that the AI side of it is so much more important than the actual hardware, the the body that's walking around. The AI of making a consciousness that can communicate and and think like a person to some extent is the big ticket. That's the hard part and we're actually making huge headway on that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's we could go down the rabbit hole of that discussion (laughs) and we probably will at some point, but as I like to say, I'm pushing buttons. That's another topic for another time. (laughs) Yes.
1: Uh, I think that's it for us. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, if you liked what you listened to, remember to follow, uh, to subscribe and check us out on geekfreakspodcast.com. Follow us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, if you have any questions, send us your guys' questions. We like to, uh, add them to our episode in the beginning, or we'll answer your questions on our social media sites. Our next episode will be uh, season one, episode eight, called Miri. All right.
0: Until then, transporter room, two to beam up.